good people. You are listening to Feel Free to Deviate, the podcast about people, their careers, and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I am the host. The guest on episode 37 is Holly Adams. She's an actor, voice actor, educator, and several adjacent things. She's even a clown, but she doesn't clown around when it comes to her career. She is completely embedded and focused on being a legit working actor, and she's been doing that her entire adult life. It's remarkable, and she'll tell you all about it. Fun fact, I was in a play called Godspell my sophomore year of high school. I played Judas, and Holly was the director. I was thinking about it, and I decided to look her up, and this is the result. Doing Godspell was a great experience, as was our chat, and I hope you agree. Please, settle into whatever you're doing. If you aren't doing anything, get a fine beverage and get comfortable. This is my conversation with Holly Adams. For some reason, I thought about Godspell, and then I thought about you, and I, I, I went on the online to try to internet stalk you, and I found someone. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is her, but I can't tell because when when I met you, I was probably 15 years old. And you were directing a play that I was in. So I'm guessing that you were at least five to 10 years older than me. And, <laughs> and you look really young in the, your pictures online. So I was like, maybe this isn't her. Maybe this is someone else. But the profile seemed to match. So so then I contacted you and it was you. I get that a lot. You, you look good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not the most important thing about a person. Okay. <laughs> but <know>. thank you. <laughs> And no, I haven't had any work done. And yes, if you look super close, you'll see all the gorgeous laugh lines all over my face and the frowny lines and the... It's a life well lived. Oh, it is a wife, life, wife well lived. No, it, it is a life well lived or at least thoroughly lived. So why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, okay. Hi, everybody. Yeah, my name is Holly. I'm a total freaking dork. And my closest friends say that really I'm like a golden retriever in that I just want to bounce around and like people and fetch the ball or whatever, like do my work. And if someone threatens someone that's someone I love, I want to bite them in the leg or something. Wow. <laughs> I'm very, I don't know, I like humans until I'm tired and then I'm like okay I'm done now. <laughs> I am a full-time performer and because I'm also seriously like the poster child for ADHD which you probably remember <laughs> I I like doing more than one thing. So I do a mix of voiceover and stage and film and circus and teaching artistry mostly working with the youth when I do that. I guess I wasn't surprised to see that you're still doing it, but what I was surprised about when I when I looked you up was the amount of stuff that you do and the variety of things that you do. For instance, when I when I first contacted you, we set a date and then you're like, "Oh no, I can't do this thing because I've got this crazy project where I'm traveling to here, there and everywhere all the time." As like, how how do you manage all of all of that? It's it's it's, it's a lot. It is a lot. It's easier now that my kids are grown-ups. Makes a huge difference. But also, like, during COVID times, which were hard for everybody for all of the reasons, well, I mean, most people anyway, mm -hmm. um, and after, like, three months of no work, my audiobook work 
like voice voiceover work, but mostly the audiobook work picked back up. And I lived in my booth when I wasn't going to help take care of my mother-in-law. I like pushed myself because I was home by myself and I pushed myself to make enough money to take care of everyone I knew, family, not family, community, everybody. But that really meant that I lived in my booth for like two years. And I love my booth, <laughs> but it's like a TARDIS, right? It's not huge. <laughs> and it's hard for me to just live in isolation like that all the time. I mean, I, I'm this weird co combination of an introvert in terms of my shyness and my need to recharge with no humans, but also a deep, a deep and abiding love for human beings. And so this year, 2022, it was like things started, I would say probably April. People were like, hey, we're, we're going live. And I was like, jump on the train, jump on the train. So yeah, I did, in addition to my VO stuff, I did a circus and out I was in an outdoor circus show in May. I was in an outdoor production of Julius Caesar in June. I was in an outdoor production of Antony and Cleopatra in July. And then I was in another circus show, but this one was indoors. <gasps> what do I know? Stop the madness. Uh in August. And then September first, I flew to Michigan to direct a piece. And then I was back for a project and to do a thing with my mom. And then I was in Philly and New York shooting a film. I was in the film um, and not, I wasn't like shooting it like the director. Um, <laughs> and then I was back in Michigan to finish directing the project. And during that whole thing, at the same time, I'm doing voice projects and arts and ed projects and, you know. All the other stuff. All of the other stuff. I was like, oh, wah! you know, I was yeah. like, <laughs> a little bit losing my crap, just a little bit. I can imagine. But now I'm like, okay, I need it to slow down now. But I didn't want to say no to outside things with live humans right. and inside things with live humans. It was just, just actually having the opportunity again to be, to just oh, feel feel the connection in an artistic project because people are in the same physical freaking space. I, I just wanted to grab hold because one, one doesn't know what's going to happen next. No. That is that I, I, I feel that for sure, especially because I live in Europe now and I haven't been back to the U.S. since since summer of 2019. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then I thought about going back, but it and it's like the prices are insane and the timing mm -hmm. and everything's weird. And so, yeah, it's just yeah. Uh, it, I know that technically it's it's, it's cool now, but like psychologically, I still feel like ah, it's probably not the time. There's like a mental block or something keeping me from doing it. Uh, what you were saying before about needing to recharge and also wanting to be around people uh, to energize your work or whatever. Have you ever heard the term ambivert? No. One of the one of the one of the guests I had on the show told me that she was an ambivert, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" And it's kind of, that's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> ambivert. But I see. That's Vert. really cool. 
I like, but seriously though, there are times when I'm like, even though it's something that I'm really, times, I mean all the time, uh, when I'm doing something, like if I'm in rehearsal and then also doing, you know, teaching and stuff like that, I get home and my husband knows not to talk to me for like <laughs> 20 minutes to a half an hour because I just, I can't, I can't. Yeah. Or I'll be like, okay, now I can talk to you, but I'm not, I'm like, oh, there's no one else in the world. There are new people in the world because I can't deal with them. <laughs> Have you guys been together for a long time? Oh, yeah. Yep. Gosh, how long has it been? It's been freaking forever. I don't know how old your kids are, but I'm going to, I want to, I want to uh, relay an anecdote. Please. After, uh, it was probably my, it must've been my junior year, which would, would have been the year after we did Godspell. Uh, the chamber choir at the school was at some sort of state event or something. And we were performing in, I don't know, it was either a school, a community center or a church or something. And one of the other members of the chamber choir who was also in the, in the show came running up to me and she said, Jim, there's a picture of Holly and a man and a child on the wall around the corner. Should I take it? And I was just like, no, why, why would you take it? Wow. Yeah. Crazy, right? Like, <laughs> I don't even know where that would have been. I don't, I don't remember. I, mean, I, have no, I have no idea where it was. I just remember that she, she wanted to take the photograph. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> but she did not. Um, I'm hoping that she didn't take it. <laughs> So I'm guessing that that means that your children are, are forging their own paths right now. Doing, oh, yeah. Doing their mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. I've been married all of my adult life. And I had uh, I had kids pretty young, which is great now. Yeah. My sister did, too. She was 23, I think, when she had her son. And, uh, yeah, he's in college now. It's crazy. It kind of makes it easier on this end. It's hard when you're young, when you have them. Uh -huh. Because just everything is hard. Yeah. Um. I mean, having kids is always hard, but it's harder, I think, when you're you don't necessarily have a place to stay that's going to be, you know, permanent or or anything. I mean, and that's true no matter what age you are. And a lot of people live with that all the time. But like sometimes when you're really young, you're like, okay, uh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I can, I can, when, when I was regular source of income. <laughs> yeah. But like when I was 23, for instance, I was still, you know, vagabonding or whatever, you, you know, going here to there, just changing my mind and uprooting on the drop of a hat. And I guess you can do it with a kid, but it's, uh, it makes it, it makes it a more difficult decision to make. But they're amazing. Kids are amazing. I like mine. <laughs> I like yours too, even though I haven't met them. No, they, well, you probably would like them. I think I'm sure that they would like you as well. I think that um, I like kids just in general. Like you know, I I I purposefully work with kids a lot. I just got this amazing project with the Symphoria, which is a, a symphony. Shockingly, aptly named in <laughs> right in Syracuse. And, and I had done a project with them a whole bunch of years ago. And they had contacted me like maybe a week and a half before the project, which was last week. Sorry about the last minute thing. But can you be the kind of like called the engagerator? They called them like host narrator type for a concert for kids that was superhero music. Oh, nice. And I was like, 
yes. Because <laughs> I've always said, like, people are like, what's your dream job? Yeah. I'm like, well, really? I would love to be the David Attenborough, but for kids. Isn't David Attenborough the uh, David Attenborough for kids, though? Like my own, you know what I mean? Like yeah, that person I, I know, that's really <laughs> interested and engaged in whatever it is that the thing is. Yeah. But like so engaged with the viewer and the content. I I love that. I feel like that's a big piece of who I am. But I love doing that stuff for, for kids. So I got to be that live with a bunch of kids. We did five shows. I don't even know how many hundreds and hundreds of children it was. But it was fantastic. And I was like, oh, my God, did you hear that? What was that? What did you notice? Wasn't that cool? So it was super fun. Well, it sounds pretty fun. But all the things that you do sound kind of fun. And that's, you know, the theme of the show is... Uh, <laughs> success and like how do people feel about success and um i to me it sounds like you've found success because you're doing these fun projects that you like to engage in and you're traveling but it's not in a way that you're like oh i'm traveling <laughs> i don't know it sounds good but i but uh I, I'm, I'm wondering a couple things of course i'm wondering how do you feel about it how um are, do you feel like you've managed to be successful and um yeah like how yeah how do you feel about it i I do. Like, it used to be super true, and it's still true, but it's less true that people are all frowny or weird. They're, they have their own measures of what success means mm -hmm. and what success looks like, you know. It used to be if they didn't recognize you because from, like, a commercial on television or you're not you know, ScarJo or whatever, <laughs> then you weren't making it or right, and like right, people right. would say that. And I still have people, <laughs> they're like, so, so have you done it? You know, have you done any projects lately? <laughs> and I'm like, do I walk up to you and say like, have you sold a house? Do you have any patience at all in your practice <laughs> at all? Do you, do you, have you sold anything? How's your store? Is it open? <laughs> like, I would never say that. <laughs> That's totally obvious. <laughs> of course I'm doing fine. <laughs> right, right. But it's because they have this sense of, I don't know, man. But I personally have always shied away from things that don't have, for me, human value. Mm -hmm. But the more human value they have, the less sort of famous they are. And the less, oftentimes, the less good the pay is on Forge. Right, yeah. But for me, success is, can I pay my bills? Am I continuing to grow my client base? Am I doing projects that, for the most part, I can feel really good about? Am I doing things that are fun for me and that matter on this little planet on some level? So that's what success means to me. And yes, I would say that. That means I'm successful. Some people have this sense of success that matches kind of a 50s idea of what it means to have a job. I always remind people because they're like, oh, you just like, I could do your job. It could be so easy. And I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't last a hot freaking minute in my job. I don't think people even realize how difficult it is to talk at length for hours. Well, and not only that, but I remind people, especially people who reach out and they're like, I want to do this on the side. And I'm like, dude, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's like I say to people, it's more like having a small remodeling or construction business. If you imagine that you remodel bathrooms, 
How much time in the day do you actually spend remodeling bathrooms versus you're in your office, you're doing marketing, you're doing outreach, you're working on your website, you're going out on spec to give an estimate for something that may or may not happen. Sure. You're taking phone calls, you're in meetings, you're answering emails, you're doing yeah, invoicing. It's awful. You're doing your CRM. It's the same exact thing. Well, that's it's like that. I that's one of the reasons people always ask me. I went to school for photography, and I have no desire to work as a photographer. Well, it's not that I have no desire. It would have to be a very specific thing. I would have to be fully on board with it. But like, I went to an art school, and I I I enjoy making art and I do and have done freelance photography in the past, but I have no desire to do most of what that entails. And I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it for other people. I just don't want to do it. That's not how I want to spend my job because in addition to working on projects that I don't particularly care about, it's also all the stuff that you just mentioned, like client acquisition and all the financial and taxes and all this other stuff. Yeah. I just don't think I can't do it. I don't think I can do it. It it's not for everyone. No. And I I mean like really there's only three business models, right? There's working for someone else and then doing something that you love in your free time. Mhm. Which there's gets harder. Doing, yeah. Yeah. And then there's, you know, and there's doing something where you can do a piece of your work that you love, the art that you love, but also you're working for someone else, but it's but it's more embedded. Like, like if you were to work in my case, it would be working for a theater company or a film company mm -hmm. or at a university or a college. Yep. You know, and which I've done. Yeah, I was gonna say that would be the same for you. <laughs> yeah. Or for you, it would be like, oh, you work for, you know, either this newspaper as a stringer, or you know, mm -hmm. or you work for one of the more sort of like we do glamour photos like you would work there mm -hmm. you know what i mean or yes. at a university or college or a school a lot of a lot of k12s have arts yeah 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 and the third model is you're entirely self-employed those are the only three business models no matter what business it is it's tough it is. And being entirely self-employed is the same exact thing, no matter what the field is. Yep. And and that's something that I think people don't remember. Like you do, OVS. Yep. You know, and they're like, oh my God, I could do your job. And you're like, no, no. <laughs> I have no idea. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> really, I barely know you. We we met each other, like I knew you for like 15 minutes in the 90s. <laughs> how How long have you been doing these various types of work? All my life. Like just forever. Yeah. And where yeah. you, what what what's your what's your background? What's your educational background? So, it's a little interesting and complicated. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I'm going to actually say that my learning in this in the performative world and um I I'm going to interrupt myself like all eight people with ADHD and uh I'm going to say I truly believe that the arts, any kind of arts, is how we can begin to understand each other and really reflect on ourselves, connect to a greater spiritual level, uh, connect to each other, repair ourselves, our souls, our communities, our relationships, walk in each other's shoes, all of it, all of it, process death, process life, I think the arts are really the only way we can 
really do that. And I think that's why so many religious practices have, you know, movement and and song or chanting. And, and I think that when we are in a dark place in ourselves, writing a poem, writing a story, singing a song, singing in the shower, making a rap, you know, painting, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be for popular consumption. Art does not belong to the elite, right? This is a is this idea is at the core of who I am and what I'm about and why I take the projects I do for the most part and and honor them with with everything that I have and everything that I do and and try to bring my best listening to the table at all times. And that idea was a part of my growing up. My mom was a social worker whose undergraduate degree was in theater. And so she graduated with a degree in theater. Then she got her teaching certificate. I come from a long line of teachers. And then she decided she wanted to be a social worker because she truly believed that the use of a play and performance were integral to that practice. She also directed community theater because she believed in the community of community theater. And that's the environment I grew up in. As a completely awkward, dorky child that didn't fit in at all, the only place I ever felt even remotely safe or not, the complete social outcast was in the theater projects that I did. Those things were integral in, I'm going to say, saving my own life, but also forming the the basis and platform that I have built my life on. So when I was in high school, one of my jobs was at the, like my main job that wasn't performing, was as an assistant in the recreation department of what they used to call a day treatment program for developmentally disabled adults. When I left high school, I um, I really, people were like, oh my God, you're so good, you should go to Broadway. And I didn't want to do that because a lot of what I had experienced in that particular world, which I'm going to say wasn't a huge crap ton of exposure, but some, and it was very kind of like backstabby and and like, you know, everybody working so hard for this one thing and all the all the other things that they had to give up and all of the things that it wasn't about. What, what, who's backstabbing, though? There was a lot of sometimes friction between actors trying to get the same parts and and weirdness like directors and producers had a lot of uh, abuse of power, let's say. And actors spent a lot of time not working on their craft and not doing projects that they could believe in, right? Like, I do believe that everyone is, you know, can can embrace their own, what has meaning to them in terms of art and all that kind of stuff. But I personally don't want to spend my time on yet another production of Music Man. (laughs) Like, no. (laughs) So I went to college feeling like I I was going to follow one of my other passions, which was science. Okay. And I I ended up working 
supporting my science habit by working at a children's theater. <laughs> I was and and performing <laughs> like that was my income while I was right. studying science. But I also um I also did theatrical productions and everything like that. And then for a whole bunch of reasons, um well I I left uh, I was working on getting my master's and bachelor's at the same time with the intention of going to Gallaudet and um, spending a year there in the performance department. Gallaudet, the school for the deaf, it was called at the time. I had worked with some of the folks from the the National Theater Company, and I had I spoke sign language and um, had done some puppetry also that was connected to... Um, folks with less common abilities. And so I was going to go there and become more deeply embedded in that world. And then my plans changed radically. And I went to the International Del Arte School. And then I had kids. Like, this all happened right around at the same time. Yeah. So it ended up taking me 11 years to get my undergraduate degree because of various things. And I just kept moving it around. But at the same time, I I was being a parent and my work hours after that, you know, were reduced. And I continued to study as much as I could while being a parent and working by teaching theater and uh, contact improvisation well, at the Greater Hartford Academy of Performing Arts, which is what it was called at the time. It's not called that anymore. But, you know, just like a few classes in the week. Yeah. So I could also mom. For the, So the whole time you're working in theater, you're learning about theater, you're thinking about theater, you're living theater, but you're still getting the degree. I'm I, I'm just curious wh- why. Well, not the whole time. Like like I said, it was it was in in these two years. And then I was um, going to get my de- my master's degree in both anthropology. Okay. But but why? Why the degrees? That's what I'm wondering cuz you're already kind of doing stuff that you like and I'm wondering like what was the drive to get the degree? You at know? first or when I Well, went I, at back. first I'm imagining it was because there was just societal pressure or whatever. You just thought like I need to get a degree in this. Well, yes, but also there's stuff you don't know. Yeah, okay, okay. And there's like if you live in if you live in isolation and don't expose yourself to people and ideas from around the world and people's perspectives that mm-hmm. are really far away from your own, yeah, you're really limiting your own growth. Okay, you know that doesn't have to mean go to college. Nope. But I think. But it's one way to do it. That's one way to do it. And then when I went to the International Del Arte School. That mm-hmm. was extraordinary. I'm sure. And then I'm I sure studied, cool. like I said, with a bunch of different uh, uh, people, but I was also a mom and all of that. Um, but when I was working at the at GAPA, um, I had completed all required coursework, but I didn't actually turn in a final project. Oh. So I didn't have, um, I had continued to go back to school and trying to be school and mom at the same time, and I had shifted my focus. And like I said, I went to the Delarte School, but that was a different accreditation, you know. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, ha- I didn't turn in a final project for reasons I won't go into. So after I had been teaching for for like a year or whatever, but the principles changed, and I had been brought into that staff because there was a 
teen touring company that the teacher who was doing it wasn't really the best fit for that. Okay. And so I was brought in because I was someone that had experience with that, you know, because I had spent so much time working at a children's theater company yeah. and a teen theater company. And, and you know, I, I work well with others, you know. Mm-hmm. And I knew what it meant to really be on tour, right? Because I'd been on a lot of tours and done tours and helped put them together and been a part of that. So I was brought in for that and then kept on. And then they changed principles. And like I said, I'm a mom, right? I'm like, I, days are hard. The new principals like calls me into the office and, and she, they're like, um, so you don't officially have a bachelor's degree. No, I'm like, this is true. <laughs> and they're like, unfortunately, it's against the law for you to teach. Uh. But because you're awesome... And we value you here. If you can get your degree while you're teaching, we can keep you on. Uh, But you have to enroll like now. And I'm like, I'm all over it. So I did. I transferred all of my credits from various things, mostly one particular university, but over a bunch of different years. And uh, worked, you know, sat in the hallway studying for exams which the students actually found to be super cool. <laughs> yeah. And did that. And that was important. But then later, when I was working on my master's degree, also through an innovative program, I'm going to say the name of this it's Empire State College here. It's part of the SUNY network here in New York State. And it's amazing. Yeah. And really, really good. <laughs> But you can basically build your program, but you have to kind of defend each step and it all has to be approved. But then you can work with people all over the world. So I ended up getting my master's degree in theater education and social change. And it was an extraordinary learning experience. It's what's it sounds it sounds pretty uh, intense and varied. Like there were a lot of uh, stumbling blocks along the way. Yeah. But you made it work through passion. I still and I I uh, I take class. I take classes all the time. I always am like believing that I can grow and grow my craft and learn skills and learn things in a different way. And like, what's a recent class that you took? Um, so I'm constantly enrolled in classes in circus because it's my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, but also, let's see. I'm about to go to a voiceover conference mm. where you know how conference are. You you take like five classes a day for three days or four days. And then I participated in a conference, uh, like taking classes, taking the conference in, in Vio Atlanta. That one was amazing. Taking a lot of conferences there. And last year, I, I went to a bunch of conferences. Oh, and then I did some one-on-one training with the incredible Lisa Biggs, and I did some one-on-one training with the incredible J. Michael Collins. I don't know who any of those people are, but... <laughs> really incredibly successful high-end voiceover people who are also amazing teachers. Okay. You know, it's a... Uh, I, I just... I take class. I take class. And then if you're in a show, you're, if you're paying attention, voiceover stuff, you have to do the classes, I would say, in advance because the amount of coaching that you get in the moment is close to zero, right? Oh, okay. Sometimes, like for an audiobook, you might be your own director, so you better know what the heck you're doing. Okay. Um, 
And same thing with a lot of other things like e-learning and commercials. Like someone might say, hey, can you give me this kind of read? But they're not a director. They don't know what they're talking about, right? They'll say, I'd like it to feel like fill in the blank. And then you say yes, and you do your best to understand what that means. And then and then you do something. But you have to have a sense of that's why you take all of this class to kind of unpack what you think that they might be wanting, mm-hmm. right? Whereas like when you're doing a stage production, you're basically, if you're paying attention, you're going to class every rehearsal because the director is constantly giving you input over the course of weeks, right? Okay. And it's not just the director. You can learn from every other person in the in the group. Yeah, of like course, I'm always, of course, yeah. Right? I'm always watching other people going, oh, my God, that choice was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Where did that choice come from? Right. How I, I'm not sure I would have made that choice. How exciting is that? I want to unpack that. I loved that choice, you know, and really think deeply about it or watch someone and how they approach a character because it's going to be different than your own. Sure, sure. And everybody has different experiences, too, and they bring different things to the table. Which is so exciting. So, like, in a theatrical setting, everyone, everyone, kids, everyone can be your teacher if you're paying attention. And especially a, a good director. Mm-hmm. And but but lots of voice stuff. That's a luxury, man. There's there's some stuff you get a director on, but you're expected to show up prepared. Right. Time is money, and they don't have time to coach you. So you better show up prepared. And if they want an alternate, they they want that to be the exception and not the rule. So you have to make the magic happen. You do. You have to always. Always, you have to be ready. But that's why you have to take class. Okay, but how how do you how do you arrange all this stuff? Like, are you just in a network of of audiobook readers and and theater teachers? And uh, uh, it's different for different things. So, ask me about a specific genre. A, a genre of of audiobook or no? Like, for example, how how you get into a show is different than how yeah, you do you do, do open do you do open calls or do, do people say hey you might want to try out for this or do they? It, it depends on the genre on like what. What is that? Is it like a circus thing, a stage thing? How do you find circus work? Through through circus friends. And there's also, um, there's uh, stuff that you can, like, online. So as a circuser, I, (laughs) oh my God, I don't know how to answer this question. So I've always been a physical theater person and done a lot of Commedia stuff. And I have a long and interesting history of how I came to do what people call red nose. (laughs) Because I was doing clowning of other kinds, but not like birthday Marcel, clown, Marceau. but like subset forms. Well, yeah, but also like Commedia dell'arte and the character, the character actress stuff is kind of a form of clowning, right? Um, before I did Red Nose. And so then I've done a lot of projects that are Red Nose projects and continue to do that on an international level. And that's a different thing. So when I started doing circus beyond the red nose, um, it was kind of picking up where I had left off as like yeah. a nineteen year old at the Delarte school. And so I love doing partner acro and I've dual trapeze and wow. clown trapeze. <laughs> it goes deep. But I I would my performative level of that and what I am happy doing is more like regional and local. Like I'm content with that. I'm not interested in creating a piece and 
you know, using it to audition for Cirque du Soleil. That's not where my interests mm -hmm. with circus lie. Um, and if I want to do a project that has an overseas audience, I go about that differently. Like I'll have to create the piece and then apply to like these festivals or whatever, or I will reach out to some of my contacts or while I'm in Italy, my friends are like, hey, come with us again and do this clown doctor thing. And I'm like, yes. Um, so that's a slightly different thing. Um, but that's what you can do. But that's way different than auditioning to be in shows or film. And both of those, those are sim more similar to each other. Um, there's like backstage is really a great way to find out about stuff or actors access. Okay, right. Uh, and word of mouth. And then there's usually also audition regional audition groups on Facebook, which I constantly forget to <laughs> look at. And so you can look there if you can't afford or aren't interested in doing backstage or actors access or one of those other casting sites. The podcast stuff that's for SAG-AFTRA, because I am SAG-AFTRA, will appear on actors access. But then other things, other genres of VO there's less auditioning for things like there is some auditioning on what they call pay to play mm -hmm. for corporate narration and e-learning and things like that and some commercials. But it's a lot more likely that you'll well, it depends on what it is. If you're doing e-learning or corporate narration, it's a lot more likely that you'll keep doing outreach and then finally make a connection with a yeah. bunch of businesses and then grow your client base from there. If you're interested in commercial work, you really have oh, okay. to have an agent. But what about what about the books? If you if you do the books, like the, the, do you work with a publisher or is it a piecemeal? Yeah, audiobooks it's its own thing. Oh, all right. It's all over the map, dude. It's so interesting. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> you can work directly with an author. You can work with a boutique publishing company. You can work with a one one of the big name publishing audiobook publishing companies. And you can also, you know, you can also work with yourself if you want to do something that is um, more than seventy years old, a book that's in the public domain, and then that's pretty cool. mounted on that platform. But it's hard work. If you're interested in this world, go to Karen Cummins's narrator's roadmap that is the first place to go oh, okay that's good resources resources narrator's roadmap by karen commons it's amazing she's amazing um it's really the best place it's the the first place you should go there's so much information and then if you think that's for you and seriously learn 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 there's a lot of, there's APAC, there's Johnny Heller's conferences. There's there's so many ways that you can learn. And now, this didn't used to be true, but it's true now that the larger uh, voiceover conferences will have an audiobook uh, thread as well. You can create for free your own profile and load samples and stuff like that on ACX. But, 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 if you shortchange the product and yourself in in any way right with your acting skills or with your technology why is someone going to hire you it's a good question there are billions of actors billions oh uh, yeah i know yeah <laughs> and so people are like oh i could do that 
Yeah, huh. well, but but it's just like being a bathroom contractor renovator. There are <laughs> so many. Why, if you're having new cabinets made or your bathroom repaired or whatever, do you choose person A over person B, right? Mm-hmm. You go on their website, you look at the work they've done before, you look at testimonials, you go on Yelp and see what their rating is and see what people have to say and what's the best or the worst that they have to say about this person. And that's how you choose to hire one person over another with your home. Mm -hmm. A lot of authors feel about their books that it's their home, it's their baby. So even if you are working directly with authors or minuscule publishing companies on ACX and you have decided that you personally are going to record it yourself and you personally are going to proof it yourself, which I do not recommend because you won't catch everything. No. And that you personally are going to dedicate the time and energy to learn how to engineer it yourself and master it yourself and understand how to meet the specs. Great. Because you have, you either have to pay someone to do that or do it yourself, and you don't do a good job. Why is someone going to pick you? That is a fantastic question. So that's what I always remind people that it's it's just the same as every other job. You got to have the tools, and you got to put in the work. Yeah, you gotta you gotta know what you're doing. People went to BOCES, and then they apprenticed, and then they became the amazing welders or construction people or cabinet makers or whatever they am. No one is great at what they are right away. No one. Well, that's for sure. I don't listen to a lot of audiobooks, but I'm going to, I don't tell anybody, but one of my guilty pleasures is listening to Star Wars audiobooks. Nice. Have you ever listened to them? I haven't, but I love listening to audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks a lot. Oh, that's another good piece of advice. No matter what kind of performing that you're doing, pay attention to other people who are doing that before oh, yeah, you yeah. do it. Yeah, like totally. if you want to be an audiobook narrator, listen to audiobooks. I've met people who are like, well, I don't listen to audiobooks, but I'd like to narrate books. And I'm like, uh-huh. well. Um. <laughs> you might want to familiarize yourself with the format. Yeah. But the um, yeah, the Star Wars ones are kind of amazing. They have sound effects and oh yeah, and the guys the guys will do all kinds of crazy. So it's usually one person reading the book and. Uh, the only the only thing that I I don't like about it is that when the 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 male narrators imitate children children's voices, there's just something. Maybe it's just one particular guy because it's the same group of people that do pretty much all the Star Wars books. There, there's this one guy that does children's voices, and it his his child baby talk voice drives me crazy. It makes oh, me no. want to murder. But I don't know if you remember back in way back in the day, they had like this. Uh, I think that they're modeled on this. If there was like a Star Wars radio play of mm. like with with all the speeder sounds and the oh, anyway, yeah. it's it's like totally old timey like radio show kind you, of vibe. And you know yeah, what I you would, would love? Tell me. There's an amazing company that I do work with that I absolutely adore mm-hmm. called Graphic Audio. Okay. So their tagline is a movie in your mind. And they, okay. they're incredible, but it's fully produced, like you're saying. It's like got sound effects and yeah. music, but it's full cast. So you oh, okay. have, yeah. So there's like the narrator person, and then there's every cast, every character yeah. is a different person. Or like if it's, you know, that's not entirely true because there are times when I'll play several different people in the same book, but they're, I'm using like wildly different voices or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're a main character, it's a 
you know, it's different people. I think right. you would love it. Graphic audio. Did, oh, my God. They're amazing. Did you post something about that on, on social media recently? Because I seem to recall seeing a stage full of people. Oh, no, that was the project I was directing. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the graphic audio stuff, we're all in our own booths. And so uh, we record right. our stuff separately. With mm-hmm. the same, with, that's one of the few projects where we get a director, but you're you're expected to be ready, right? Be familiar, right. have made some choices, mm-hmm. know what you're doing, and then um, then you get to work with a director. So, like for example, yesterday I was here. I had a live session that was mm, I can't recall exactly, probably about two to two and a half hours long, and I worked on three different books with three different directors, and I played. For the first book, I think it was one character, and the second book, it was three characters, and then the third book, it was one character, but she had like 255 lines, and some of those lines were paragraphs. Yeah. She was, the book was really hugely about her arc. Yeah. But I just do my part working with the director and and all of that for each of the books. But then they, you know, they they weave all of that together. And uh, it's they're great. You would really love that if you like that kind of radio play. I kind of do. Yeah. Yeah. You should check it out. Graphic audio. Yeah. All right. I'm going to I'm going to check it out. I definitely will check it out. So, yeah, it sounds like you've never had you've never really had like a jobby job. You you do this kind of stuff and yep. you sustain your life. And how did you stumble into directing a play at the Gilbert School in uh, <laughs> 1992 or whatever it was? <laughs> what, what, I, was what was your deal then? <laughs> I, I love um, like I said, I love arts and education projects. Yeah. And I love working with youth. I enjoy directing. Um, but I don't do as much now as I used to. I think I was working on a project with, it was either a project outside of the Greater Hartford Academy of Performing Arts, but, but with people who were there and one of them recommended it to me. Or it was through the children's theater company that I worked with mm. that one of them recommended it to me. So I applied. Because I was like, oh, this is amazing. I would love to do this project. Before that, I never did a play. And I I, I, I haven't done one since. But um, obviously, you you made an impression. And I think that that's the case with most of the kids that, that were there. But obviously, you made some kind of an, an impression on them. Because I thought of you to ask you to do this. And that other uh, uh, student wanted to steal your photograph from the from well, the community center you like, um, are amazing you were amazing <laughs> i i had a student early on in my life that said in class one day that before they walk into any room for a project they say to themselves i'm gonna learn something from every person in this room mm-hmm. and and that's what i lead with also so i don't know if you remember but i was like okay like we started with a bunch of questions. I don't remember. I was like, what if this was real? That's what I said to you all. I was like, what if it was true? What if this story is true? And because Godspell is about this person literally showing up in a real place in a real time saying, hi, I'm, you know, I'm the child of God. And I was like, what if that was true here now in your school? How would that go? How would you feel? And that was what we opened with. And you all were like, what? I thought we were just seeing lines on a page. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, it's about something. So we all 
made some of these artistic choices together as a group because I wanted to honor your thoughts and your feelings about your life and your world. And that was our the introduction to that sort of thing for most of the people, including myself included. It was exciting. I liked it. I, I would I would like to I would I kind of wish there were videotapes of it, but I'm almost scared. I would be almost scared to watch it. <laughs> it was it was beautiful. It was intense. But everybody kept it real all the whole time. You know, you all just kept having that be true. What if this is true? What if this is real? What if this is now? Mm -hmm. And we even answered some of those questions together about where does this scene take place? We came after a group conversation to the idea that Jesus is crucified on the on the fence. Uh, I, don't, I don't even remember these details. It was intense. It was intense. It's totally cool. So we had, um, I don't know, like, because we kept asking ourselves those questions, because again, like, art needs to be, art needs to matter, right? Well, it doesn't need to matter, but it does. Even if you're like, oh, I just want to watch a stupid movie and eat popcorn. That's yeah. still, it's still mattering, right? You're, you're putting salve on your spirit. It has some sort of value. <laughs> yeah. No, lots of value. Like, I'm comforted by that, right? Comfort is important. Yeah, for real. That's how it's, I'm glad that you said that because that's how I feel about a lot of my activities. <laughs> uh, no, it's so like, why do we feel guilty about self-care? Um, it's important. I, I think I feel guilty about not being productive all the time. <laughs> you know, I understand that. Like, <laughs> I get to a point sometimes where I'm working way, way, way too hard all the time. And it's not good. And I try to break that pattern you know, and then when I uh, am trying to not be in that pattern and do other things, things that are good for myself or my world or my family in a different way, sometimes I'm like, but I'm not, I'm not like paying the bills right now, yeah. you know, and that's okay. That's okay. There's more than one way to serve the self, the family, and the community. It doesn't all have to be about generating income. Well, Sometimes that's a choice and sometimes it's just the way it is. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and that's, oh, uh, yeah. No, I that's, know. That's my situation. <laughs> I don't want to give the impression that everything always comes easy and that I've always been overbooked. That is not the case. No, everyone has to deal with that. But have you, have you had major, major droughts or stumbling blocks that, uh, oh, yeah. I think everyone does, right? I'm thinking the, the first podcast that I did, the first person I interviewed, is a singer and she she's done a lot of stuff and she was the the front person for a band in who's very relatively popular in europe she got this this uh really cool gig singing singing songs from from james bond she put this show together and she yeah she sang nice if you yeah if you know her it's like this is perfect for her it's amazing <laughs> but then all this stuff gets booked, everything goes, and then, bang, lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> and like she's like, "This is my year." I think she, I think she was, I think she was, she had a really hard time. Oh, I'm sure. But I'm she's sure. bounced back, and we actually one of the first music, the first musical performance that I saw after the initial lockdowns was her performance, and it was, and this isn't even my kind of thing, but it was amazing. And she had like this full orchestra with her, and she she's a very oh, powerful sounds, performer. It that was, sounds amazing. It was the coolest way to break break the fast of not seeing live music. 
yeah, li- like an orchestra is a very powerful thing. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, it really was. But um, that's a, a period of worklessness that you sort of are forced into, you know, like she, everyone had to deal with that I, to some degree, you know, but if you're a singer or a, an actor, you can't yeah. really work remote. I su- yeah. <laughs> I, su- I mean, although there were a lot of shows that became like Zoom shows. Yeah. A lot of shows. Which was a little weird. I think I we saw a play on Zoom and yeah, it's, it's not quite as engaging, but you know, you got to support the people. <laughs> Yeah, and it's better than not. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's true. I um because at the beginning of uh, lockdown here, it was like still school, right? It was March thirteenth. Yep. And and people were it was awful. Yeah, right? yeah. Totally. Like I live really close to New York City, and it it was horrible. It was horrible. And yeah. so I just started reading ch- stories for children on Facebook stream, which oh, was nice. basically the only thing that was really around. Zoom hadn't been invented yet, you know, um, and it's public. So I would read children's stories three days a week for, you know, an hour or whatever. Um, and I did that every every week. And then I at first I also did older kids stories in the evenings um, just because I knew that everyone was frightened and there was no school and kids were at home and, you know. Yeah. You know, not the same as having someone read to you in real life, but No, no, it's but not. It was better than the nothing. But also for you, it, it's a way to feel like you're contributing or trying, you know. Yeah, and kids can, you know, kids and moms would chat, right? Cuz you can do that on a Facebook stream. Mm-hmm. Comment, chat live. It was great. Like it was as great as it could be. But yeah, just to just to reflect on that, even people who have corporate jobs don't really have safety, you know? Yeah. And it's a thin line. It is a thin line. And there's been definitely times in my life when I've been underemployed, mm-hmm. huge swaths of time. And sometimes it's been really unexpected, like when the market all crashed in 2008 and every single project I was in the middle of collapsed. <laughs> Got defunded. <laughs> well, also, like, for example, New York State, they they pay all of the um, cultural organizations like museums and theaters and everybody like that who uh, on a state who gets state funding, um, everybody gets their entire year's worth in one chunk. But they divide because New York State is like I think in entertainment and culture organizations is like the second or third biggest industry in this state. So they divide up the payments quarterly. Okay. Everyone gets it all at once, but your organization might be in the first, second, or third, or fourth quarter. Oh. So the collapse happened, like the banks collapsed, everything collapsed. No one, none of the organizations in the fourth quarter got any money. <sighs> Brutal. So that includes museums, parks, any any cultural organization that you can think of. Yeah. Schools, like certain, like certain things literally got zero of their money. Right. And even before that, you know, everything collapsed. Literally everything collapsed. I walked into a project I was that we had been preparing the previous school year and it's like the second week of September and I walk into the school and they're like, I'm sorry. We can't do this. Mm-hmm. And so everything everything fell. Everything fell. I went from having a plate that was, you know, okay, 
comfortably full. <laughs> yeah, not like, you know, bursting at the seams, but but fine. Dude, yeah. literally having nothing. And not like, not like pandemic nothing. Like, there was no work, right? Right. Because the economy collapsed. Right. And so, you know, I, I scrambled around and tried to figure out what to do next and did a few other things and tried to patch things together, but also said to myself, okay, what else can I do? What else? Where is their funding? What skills do I have that I can create something that meets a need that's not being met and can be funded by the people who still have money? Right. <laughs> and that and that was, I would say, the most extreme example of that. But there's definitely been times in my life where I was underemployed. So I would take a business class and then say to myself and re, you know, really look at branding, really look at website stuff, really look at marketing. Smart. And say to myself, okay, what can I add for sale? What additional things can I create? What things have I not spent enough time doing marketing and outreach on that are actually in my wheelhouse, you know? So I just, I took all of those opportunities to buckle down, learn more, examine in a different way, and create new things to have on offer. And it's working out? <laughs> yeah, now it is. It sounds like you're busy. It sounds like you're yeah. in incredibly busy. Well, all of that, all of those hard times and my upkeep and my diversification have meant that when, in more recent times, when things collapse for other people. Part of my world collapses, but not all of my world. Right. Because I have created a, a diversified base, right? Yes. Sometimes I say to people, like, maybe you love red Converse sneakers, but if that's all that's in your store, you might do well for a while, but, but you, that's not sustainable. Right. Learning is good. Learning and then saying, okay, what is related that I'm good at that I like that with a little bit of investment on my part in time and learning, I can really become better at and really hone that skill and use that as a piece of uh, what I have to offer. I'm going to have to investigate that for myself. It can be fun. It can you know be. You know what I mean? It can. Yeah, no, I hear I hear you. I hear you. It's hard, but saying to yourself, I'm going to imagine myself in a new way. I'm going to bring the idea of something. What are some things that I like doing that I think are fun that I can think about in a different way than I have before? Like I love mysteries. And during one of these hard times, I was like, I love mysteries. What if I created a thing that was like mysteries at home? But I was like, what if it was live? What if it was embedded? What if it was at an event and it was kind of like the person next to you all of a sudden is gasping for breath or something. And now it's like, or, or no, wait, what if there was like a theme? And, and what if I started to get excited about that idea? And that branch of my world, which I named Mystery and Adventure Agency, <laughs> ha expands and contracts as needed now. You know what I mean? But I had to invent it. You do something like you do that. Yeah, I created that. I had to think about that. Gosh, I guess it was 15 years ago because there was a drought in my life and I was asking myself those questions. What do I like? What am I good at? And that's the, my love of mysteries and my love of devising work and my I work really well with other people. I love structured improvisation. And it really became born out of all of that. And I also like history. I, it, that came out of those questions. What, what else do I like? 
what what how can my skill set that I have connect with something else I like that I haven't ever thought about before? And it took a while to get that going. So do, do you do it live or is this like a, like do you book a theater and do this or how do you do it? It ranges. So I'll just give you a couple of examples. On the largest end, let's say your museum or arts organization or history organization or even United Way or something like that, you're having a fundraising gala event and you've chosen a theme and the theme is whatever it is, like 1920s, whatever. It doesn't matter. So you would hire me to create an original interactive mystery that was related to your themes, your company, your company's history, important funny things and beings that would happen there. And during the part near the beginning where the person makes the normal comments, you know, thank you for coming, you know, this, we're having this fundraiser, thank you for everybody coming in your 20s outfits, you look amazing, or whatever, right? (laughs) Um, Something happens. (laughs) Like, You know, they say, well, we were going to auction off this painting, you know, and you pull the thing off and there's no painting there, right? It's it's just an empty frame. Or something fun that's clearly true and not true at the same time, right? Or all of a sudden the person's like, oh, my God, my pearls, I'm missing you. Yeah, yeah. Or... Or the person next to you is like, oh, I think I'm going to faint. I must have eaten something. You know, whatever. Whatever we, me and the client decide they want to have. And Mm -hmm. that's the beginning of this embedded mystery that happens around you in real time. It's not on a stage. It's you'll hear overhear a conversation next to you or there's going to be an an argument that everybody clears the space for. and You get to hear this argument or sometimes one of the characters will be the spokesperson. They're like, oh, yes. Like they might be next to the director and say, oh, thank you so much for coming to our, you know, it's 1922 and we're all excited to be here or whatever because we can make it more clearly uh, pretend or not. We can dial that whatever direction people want, right? Right. And then it plays out in and around you. And then on the tables, there's like a whodunit slips. Who did it? What was their motivation? Blah, 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 blah. Colonel Mustard. But there's also clues usually around. And there's like, you know, sometimes we decide we want them uh, under people's plates or whatever, whatever the client wants. Sometimes there's like a clue or action jar that people who want to be more involved can self-select and be able to take an action where they shout out or they do something or they, you know, whatever, or extra clues. And then people can choose to self-involve, you know, more or less as they want. And there's usually uh, like a large-ish scene and then couple smaller scenes and then a largish scene and then a couple smaller scenes and then you have to turn in who you think did it and why and by that time it's like dessertish or we're we're <laughs> not you know we're like half hour from the end of right the on event schedule. itself yeah and then there's the the reveal and the accusations i call it j'accuse and then <laughs> everyone has fun and then everyone bows and it's the end but it can also be like we did this thing. We were hired to do this thing for this bridesmaid. The uh, the best the maid of honor hired us to totally surprise the prize the bride and the bridesmaids while they were at a restaurant, and so and they she wanted a CSI kind of a thing, but she wanted it to be about books. So we arranged that with the restaurant and most of the other people, and so we 
burst in. <laughs> they had no idea. <laughs> no idea. No idea. And it was just, but it, we, you know, it was super fun. And then the then the bridesmaid handed out envelopes to the bridesmaids. The the maid of honor handed out envelopes, and everyone had a character. But you know, she had given us enough information about them ahead of time, so their character was built around things that they that we knew that they had liked. Right. It's super fun. So uh, that aspect of my life becomes more a piece of what I'm doing or less a piece of what I'm doing as needed. Right, right, right. Um, Because it, you know, I build them on request. So, and then sometimes I'll build them remotely, right? Like, do you have, uh, do you have like a bucket full of ideas though that you, that you build from, or, or do you, do you custom create one for every instance? Largely custom create. Yeah. Because I love problem solving. Okay. And, um, and that's part of what makes it different than what other people have to offer. Yeah. So, like, I, I was uh, approached by someone who knew me as a voice actor, actually, and she was fought looking on my website, and she was like, what's this mystery thing that you do, and can you do this for my organization for our spring get-together remotely, but we have all the parts? And I'm like, sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> So I asked her questions about the organization and its history and what the, what theme they wanted. And they picked a, a time period and kind of she picked a time period and kind of a theme. And I sent her my research and my proposal and my like outlines of here's what I think this could be about. And here's the kind of characters I'm thinking about. And based on what you've given me, does this look good to you? She made some tweaks. And then we asked every single person kind of who they would like to be, you know, in one person, like even the kids. Right. So like this, this little six-year-old, I think was like, I want to be the cranky farmer. So nice. yeah, like Rando. Aspirations. Great. great. <laughs> so, but then that's exciting for me. Sure. Like, because then that's an interesting artistic problem. Like, how do I create a plot that still follows this really, really basic kind of structure that I've learned works that can take place either in an hour, an hour and a half, whatever you need, right? So I can I can make it bigger or smaller, but usually that's the right amount of time. And have everybody have fun and have the lines be indicatory so that no one really has to memorize anything, but they do, certain things have to come out at certain times. And so like the point person knows what needs to happen at certain times and then they can just, you know, <laughs> shout out something or whatever, do it in their character as needed. So I created for this, this for their organization and they just did it all themselves, right? So so I sent them this, the various versions of the script and uh, any printed props like fake deeds and <laughs> <laughs> fake deeds. Yeah, and like pictures and you know, you know, props it, like that. It looks like official and maps and you know stuff right. like that. So so it's super fun. But like I said, I can I that ebbs and flows, and I give it more focus when I project that I'm gonna have a hole in my performative life. Or if I'm sick of doing too much of something, I'm like, I'm going to spend some time marketing this right now or create another one and have it on hand. Speaking of being sick of doing something, I'm wondering, a lot of the work that you do is fun, but work isn't everything. So like, what what else do you do? What else do you got going on? Like, what, what do you do to like balance off the work thing? You live in upstate New York. It must be lovely there. It is. I do. I like walks. I like, well, here there are hikes because there's no such thing as flatland. Okay. I like birding. Nice. I like reading. I, I like anything nature, really. Um, And like my circus classes are for me. They're for fun, 
right? Because I'm often taking classes in something I will never do as a performer. I just like learning that, you know, and it's so good for my brain. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I play my ukulele for fun. Excellent. I've tried to play the ukulele, but I find that I don't know. I know that this is stupid to say, but I feel like my hands are too big. I, I, I find it very difficult to play a ukulele. Huh. I mean, it's not difficult to pick out like a melody or anything, but I guess because I think about it in terms of guitar chords. Mm. And I think maybe that, yeah, I don't know. It, anyway, the, the, the neck is very small and uh, I find it difficult. But yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to uh, you'd like to share? I think you're amazing. Why? I think uh, because, <laughs> like, look at all that you do. Oh my god! And you're such a generous, kind human. Aw. Well, I, I I do I do try to I do try to be nice. I could I mean I can always be kinder and more generous, but it's um yeah these are these are crazy times. These are crazy times. And thank all of you out there. Yeah. Here's a hug for your dark times. I have them too. I had one yesterday. I had to not go to my thing because I was like, it's a yawning abyss of despair right now. I need to not. Oh, man. And so this is a, a hug for anybody who might be going through that right now. And again, I I like to be helpful. Well, you helped me out and I hope that uh, you helped some of the listeners out. And I, I'm glad that we talked. Uh, and it's And it's interesting to hear about all the stuff that you do. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for asking me. I hope it wasn't too weird. Not at all. Yeah, I don't think it was. I mean, uh, I didn't think it was. Well, you're awesome. And thank you. Well, thank you. And um, Godspeed. Godspeed to you too, my friend. That was Holly. And now you know all about how to get work as a voice actor or a clown or a dinner theater mystery director. There's a lot going on here. The one thing that I am absolutely certain of is that Holly is not lazy and she knows how to go get it. Is that fearlessness? Confidence? I'm sure she has fears and anxieties, but she also seems to have the courage required to pursue her ideas and passions. Like when she was talking about creating her mystery event business during a lull in her her work schedule. I think the way she described her process of creating that was, was very, very cool. Also, I love that she's acting and has always been acting or doing something in the sphere of acting. Like she said, so many people think of ScarJo when they think of successful actresses, but as with most careers, there are many applications for a skill set and many ways to fit them into your lifestyle. And she's been doing that forever. As a famous dead guy once said, all the world's a stage. As a side note, I'd like to say that I didn't remember many of the specifics of how she directed the play I was in during high school. But as she was talking about it, there were parts that I recognized about the way I approach things. Evidently, I internalized some of what she was trying to get us, the players, to think about and parts of ourselves she wanted us to access. It was a great experience for me. So thanks, Holly, and thanks for being on the show. You can find Holly on the internet. Her website is shearwaterproductions.com, and you can also go to Audible and search Holly Adams to find examples of her work. I just did it, and there are tons of titles. You can also check her out on Instagram at Hall Adams. That's H-O-L dot Adams. All the links are in the show notes. By the way, you know who else is on Instagram? Me, at Feel Free to Deviate. I'm also on most other social platforms under the same name. Go there, like me, follow me, share me, comment on me, but be nice if you want to. It, it makes me feel special. 
Coming up in two weeks is superstar DJ Joris Vorn. That's Joris with a J because he's Dutch. The J is yay. Just for the record, most Dutch people do not call me Yim, but it has happened before. Anyway, thank you, dear listener. I know you have options and I appreciate your time. I will see you in two weeks. Bye.